Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Biomass. We've got the uh, the whole crew here tonight, save Libby. She's uh, unfortunately dealing with child aggro, uh, but uh, the rest of us are here and good to go. So let's get started with some introductions for episode 148. I'm Um I play games. I'm a co-host here on the show. Um, I have I have pets. I have uh, two, three ferrets and a chinchilla living here. Um, it's makes me the butt of jokes here regarding animals, but that's okay. All right, and Bait. Uh, hey, uh, my name is Bay, and I uh, I run over animals. Oh, we'll get to that later. Uh, and Jay. Yep, I'm Jay. I'm also one of the uh, co-hosts here on Biomast, and uh, we're, since we're on episode 148, I'm pretty much I'm out of all of the uh, elements on the atomic table that I can tie a factoid into. Since they've continued to add elements to the atomic table since I like graduated from school, you know, like 20 years ago, uh, so I will have to throw throw one back to kind of my grad school days of uh, Dunbar's number. Uh, Dunbar's number it is it is the number 148, but that is sort of uh, ubiquitously known as that's the number that the average human uh, number of other people they can maintain a constant and uh, stable social relationship with. So. It's roughly described. Holy crud! It's, it's That's good. It's Holy crud! Seriously? Absolutely. So it's 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 roughly described as uh, that's about the number of people. If you saw them in a bar, you could just walk up to them with little to no anxiety and sit and have a drink with them, well, as, as though you had already known them or established a relationship. I'm an introvert. My my number is probably about an eighth of that. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, would, you would actually be surprised when you start adding it up. And the interesting thing is that if you go back to he, – he, this guy actually put like some – this is like a serious like actual uh, delving into like uh, mathematics, uh, statistics, psychology. It's, it is a very well-published uh, you know, number or factorum, if you will. So if you look at – look throughout time, you know, around 150 – plus or minus was about the number of natural groupings of people. Because if you get much bigger than that, it requires a series of very restrictive uh, like rules and placed on the group to, to enforce norms. So it, it's, it just, it just kind of how it works out. Uh, and, and it, do, it does back up pretty well. So it's, it's been cited in a lot of, uh, a lot of different pop culture uh, kind of science stuff, but it is, it isn't a real thing. So I do encourage you to look up Dunbar's number and then, you know, figure out where do you sit in that uh, 148 plus or minus. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> that's that's a learning corner with with Jay. There. That's that's pretty cool stuff. I, I had heard of that, but I, I didn't realize it was 148. So that's pretty badass. Uh, and I'm uh, of course Pokey Draven. I help uh, co-host the show here, write for the blog, um, and playing some uh, freebie games on playstation 4 we'll talk a bit about that later but yeah so let's get on with the show here so does everyone have their drink ready are you ready to ready to, to cry it out we uh, we, told us that, <laughs> we said we'd do it uh, last week we moved it this week so we're gonna kind of do a, a full spoilerific review of the movie logan if you have not seen it yet i do suggest you skip ahead uh, because we are going to not hold back on this one and kind of discuss um, more in-depth thoughts about our favorite parts, that sort of thing. So if you haven't seen it, you probably don't want to listen to this. So uh, kind of opening up to the table, and I know, Zell, you, you kind of had a, a favorite moment in, in Logan. What, what, what was that? There's, a, there's this, this moment uh, where uh, the little girl talks, um, and, and the reaction, Logan's reaction was priceless. It was the one, like, if this was a PG-13 movie, 
right there would be the one obligatory F-bomb. Right there. Nowhere else. <laughs> just just right there. He's, you can talk the... It was. <laughs> I, I will say this. Uh, Hugh Jackman has really, really good comic timing that, that is often not used as well as it could. He's been in some pretty funny stuff, and I think a lot of that comes from his stage acting background, but he, he that was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, no, that was that was pretty funny. The funniest moment for me was uh, when uh, Charles is talking about how long they've been on the road, and he's like, you know, we've been on the road for like four days, two, you know, like uh, two meals, no sleep. You know, she's eleven, I'm fucking ninety. I was like, okay, um, I, I laughed pretty hard on that one. I thought that was that was pretty funny. Yeah, that was uh, that made it into the Red Band trailer, one of them, and and yeah, it was it was great. Mm-hmm. Bait. What was one of your mem- more memorable moments of the film? Um, I, I really don't know. Yeah. I mean, there was, there was a lot of stuff, I think in terms of, um, you know, emotional level, I think probably the scene that got to me the most was when they are, uh, burying Charles and, you know, Logan is trying to just say something and he just can't even get it out. It's, it's kind of that, like this guy is so screwed up. Like he's pretty much seen every one of his friends and anyone close to him is basically dead at this point. And he's just like, what the hell am I going to do? Like that was, that was pretty powerful. That was probably my, my favorite moment of the movie. Yeah. Now I would, uh, I won't go to the, to the kind of cliche point in terms of like, uh, you know, the, the death of Wolverine since we're in full, full spoilers. I will say this though. It took me a few minutes to realize that um, that that his death scene was an exact throwback to the actual, uh, I, I guess, premonition or prophecy he was given in uh, in the Wolverine, the movie, the, the Japanese Wolverine one. Like that's a, that's very much literally how it was. His death was described, by the way. Uh, so, I, I, which I thought was kind of a neat callback. But in terms of a favorite moment. Um, that's that is kind of tough. I I think honestly, like the dinner scene uh, between Charles Logan and uh, and Laura Kinney, like that it, it was that was one of the one of the better well acted pieces in the entire thing, and it was just an incredibly believable sort of exchange between all three of them. I think, and it's it's not like a it's not like a major you know set piece in the movie, but I thought that right there was like a, a fantastic scene that that if you were going to sell this to somebody for some sort of actual accolade or an award at some point, that would be a great a, a great place to start. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that the whole section of scenes that, that takes place in the house um, with the other family was was all pretty critical to the film. I thought I thought that the, the dinner scene was was really fantastic, and I actually really liked. Um, the scene where uh, X24 is in the room with Charles and Charles doesn't realize it's not Wolverine, not Logan um, and kind of realizes everything that's happened. And I think he kind of gets his head around why Logan is the way he is. And um, it, it's tragic because it's, it's beautiful that he figures that out. But the fact that he, he is trying to tell Logan that I finally get it and it's obviously not Logan, which is pretty terrible, but you know, it was, that, that was also really good. That, that one stood out to me. Hey, what did you just generally? What did you think about the whole X twenty four thing? Like, I, I, I legitimately, I was very studious about staying away from any kind of spoilerific stuff before before the movie. Uh, that that was actually kind of an interesting turn. I, I truly wasn't expect ex- expecting that. No. Yeah. I, well, sorry. Go ahead, babe. I, uh, just, I was just gonna say I wasn't expecting it either. I, you know, I, 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 I kind of went into the movie not really knowing anything about the story other than you know obviously what was. Um, excuse me, what was shown in the trailers. 
Um, so so when that happened, that that kind of made me go, "What the fuck?" Yeah, well, one of the things I kind of liked about the entire movie, one, they, the way they did it was really well, and it also is a testament to the fact that Hugh Jackman is still jacked, if you will, at his age, because he, he did pretty much yeah. a lot of that. The um, the gener- Generally, what I, what I thought really worked well in the movie is that you got away from the, the invincible Wolverine uh, and his power sets you know, in the comics and in all of the different representations in the movie stuff have gone wildly all over the place since his origin. But it, it becomes kind of not fun when he could basically survive like a nuclear blast. Um, but he was he was very much like vulnerable throughout the movie. Like you, you had a, a everybody certainly felt like they could be killed at any time in this movie. And I think um, how the X-24 was sort of portrayed was in my mind a little bit more about where I thought Logan, probably they should have kept him his power set in the movie in, in all their previous movies. So, you know, he can get shot up, you know, you know, messed up pretty bad and it takes him like a few days to, to come back. You know, it's not like he's healing before he's hitting the ground after the car hits him. Yeah. I mean, he took a, a shotgun to the face several times and he was messed up. Like he wasn't going anywhere and they, they pretty much had to inject him with the, the stimulant to get him to actually recover in a, in a reasonable amount of time. Cause he was there, I think all night pretty much. And, Hadn't really recovered that much other than, you know, just some minor healing, but it was a little more realistic, I think, in terms of, you know, if, in terms of like a movie plot, I can see why before they, they kind of sped things up. But I think, in, like you said, in this one, it felt a little more realistic and for, for what it is, obviously, it's obviously not realistic, but uh, a little more reasonable, I suppose, in, in how they kind of portrayed the, the healing factor. Would you, uh, I'm just, just as we kind of take this from kind of sort of top to bottom, I, I would have to say like the acting, we've mentioned this before, even in the non, non-spoiler part, I think the acting pretty much top to bottom was really good. There was no, there, there weren't any real throwaways in there and like nobody was mailing it in for sure. Um, so I, I would say that one was absolute tops. The action generally was pretty good. It was, you know, it was definitely much more gritty and and not quite as stylized as you know I, as many of the previous movies would have would have made certain things. Um, so generally, I thought it was pretty good. There's a lot less of it than there's a lot of violence, but there's a lot less like raw action pieces than uh, um, than I kind of thought there was going to be. Uh, so I, I generally thought that was really good. I thought the story itself was really well handled because they definitely took elements of several different things uh, to to tie up the story. So I thought it was pretty solid and. Good guys were good. The bad guys, I thought, were well done. Uh, I thought the what God, what's the name the the professor, the professor, the the scientist guy. Um, he was actually pretty solid. Uh, the, the Reavers were there was a lot of your generic like you know military mercenary type dudes floating around in there, but uh, they, they were generally pretty good. I, I didn't see a whole lot of holes in this one in terms of uh, you know as a general movie, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing felt pretty well put together. It was just well-rounded. I mean, I didn't feel like there was any particular spots that were weak. I mean, there was probably some scenes that felt a little a little strange, but overall it was, you know, really solid experience. I even thought the kids right there at the end, when they get to uh, the, the camp, I guess, that had all the other uh, lab mutants, uh, I, I even thought those kids did, did a really good job uh, with their acting. Yeah. Now, okay. So they're the, the kids that in the in sort of the like the final act of the movie. The 
there was clearly some homages to uh, like the traditional X Men. Did I did, but I didn't really get the feeling that this was like a a way a bridge point or a a way to get to another series. This I think it was literally just those are like sort of callbacks to previous characters in the X-Men franchise, or did you guys, did you guys get a similar vibe or a different one? I got the vibe that they were setting up for another, another franchise. I I don't want them to. I think that they really should just end it here, but it, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, two, three years, maybe even four years later, we saw like a a quote unquote next generation X-Men movie come out or something. If, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I certainly hope they. I really hope they don't even remotely no. attempt that one. This, I mean, this this is definitely going out on your on the on your top of your game right here. Yeah, I think it works because it it wasn't trying to tie in any you know, previous film or or future films into a you know extended franchise of what this would be. I think it it was it did well because it was able to stand alone and not have to worry about you know setting things up. I think that they they set it up in a sense that they weren't going to actually make a, a series, but it kind of it, it gives the viewer a sense of the story is continuing. You may not see it, but at least you know it didn't just end here, um, which is you know kind of a feel good moment that sort of thing. I, I liked how. Um, the character that was incidentally had psychic powers was kind of in charge of the group of kids, or at least kind of taking up a leadership role. So it kind of mirrored, I think a lot of what you saw um, in the original you know, group of X-Men. And it was kind of like, this is the next generation continuing on um, uh, may or may not have films associated with it, but I did kind of like that. They, they did make that parallel at the very least. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's a, uh, that's probably a pretty good observation of that one. It was, uh, I-, I think overall, a lot of the plot pieces, there was not a whole lot of crazy, uh, there's not a whole lot of crazy, uh, like plot holes in this, like there normally are in many of the X-Men movies, by the way. Uh, I did notice he still had the adamantium bullet, which was interesting. Uh, so that it kind of makes you wonder where they're at in like, where is this in continuity of all the other, of all the other films? Well, uh, the interesting thing is, is I had read that it was a separate, uh, you know, that it was not tied into the main universe. And then I read another article saying, yeah, actually it is. Um, and it's, it's, a, if this is actually, you know, the Canon movie universe, you know, mainline story, um, it's a pretty dark end to it. <laughs> um, well, what I saw, like I saw a, a really cool, uh, fan theory that actually like laid it out pretty well that they think that the very first X-Men movie and this X and this movie were really uh, th- that's really the bookends of the franchise of of the franchise in terms of that timeline and everything else that happened in between those two was not associated with those two because it's he very clearly calls back to like the incident on uh, at Statue of Liberty and you know things like that. So it, it, the guy, made, it's you can probably look it up on the on the interwebs, but it was pretty good um, in, in terms of where it kind of sits and the fact that like there was you know the X Men uh, comic books that he that you know, that he had or that uh, the little kid at the very end had the X-Men to- or the, the Wolverine toy in the blue and yellow suit. Uh, it makes me, you know, basically this guy's theory is like, what if all those other things were simply what other people thought that the X-Men were as opposed to what was really happening in a timeline. And really the first and the last movies were, you know, the, the real, the only real thing. <laughs> and it was, it was one of those really far-fetched things but it was actually quite well-written. And that's something that I like, you know, uh, in uh, in the trailers, uh, I 
want to say it was it was the Red Band trailer where um, she's she's shown in the comics and he's like, no, it's all it's all fucking bullshit. It's made up. Not in bad was and like ten percent of it happened, and then the other ninety was just made. I I really like that. Felt like it kind of it kind of brought them into our world. I guess if that makes sense. So like you know, took something that that we see is is. Oh yeah, that that's that's commonplace. You know, th- this is a thing, and the thing that we're reading about is also you know, in the same the same universe as uh, you know as the other thing. Yeah, no, I can buy that. Now, my other question is: Are those were those actual X Men comics, or were those ones that they just mocked up for the for the flick? I di- I didn't. I have I've been trying to figure that out myself. I am okay. not sure, uh, but. I I have heard that they were not real, but I haven't seen anybody with a clear enough screen grab or anything that could that can ISO it. That's unfortunate. It'd be really cool if they were real. Yeah, it'd be pretty solid. Uh, it would it would make the it would make those those uh those uh, those uh issues like incredibly valuable. <laughs> oh yeah. Another factoid that I actually kind of came across: the director actually came out and kind of explained um, the Westchester incident, which is mentioned several times in the film, but never really explained. And, and basically, he said that, <clears throat> as they kind of imply, uh, Charles has a seizure and basically kills all the X Men except for for Logan and um, you know a, a couple others that just happen to survive. But uh, they, they never really explained. It. He actually said that they originally had it it was going to be a scene in the movie. And at one point it's actually going to be the first scene in the movie kind of showing all of this happening. Uh, and he said he chose to actually remove it because he felt that it would set the tone of the movie as, you know, it's a movie about all the X-Men dying and then what happens after. And it, it, he thought it would kind of take away from the fun of, um, as he said, kind of unraveling the onion of you see the characters from the outside and you kind of slowly start to kind of get into the what's going on in their heads and the backstory and kind of go into it from the other direction. And I think that that was actually probably a really, really good that was, choice. That was a good choice. I, I mean, there was definitely that moment, um, you know, in that house where he, he was, he, you know, he's kind of mumbling what was going on. And he, that's kind of where it really conclusively says, you know, yeah, he killed them all. Um, and, uh, I mean, I mean, that was, that was good. I, I don't think it would have been, I, I don't think they should have done, I mean, you know, you can kind of picture it. It would have been the kind of classic X-Men style, you know, movie style. You would have had to hire in all the, um, you know, all the actors there to get killed off and it, it, just better off without. Um, but it does make me seriously wonder, like, you know, <laughs> is there going to be some point in this movie franchise where like, well, um, we can't go there in the timeline because we killed everyone. Um, it, it's kind of interesting in that it puts, it does put a, you know, short of a, another time travel movie um, to invalidate the contents of this one. Um, it it kind of puts a, a end line on the, uh, the X-Men story. Well, the, you know, in the, the original old man Logan series, uh, Wolverine is actually the one that killed all the X Men. He, he was basically like uh, I think it was you know like Mister Mysterio or some, some relatively B movie like mind trickery villain. Uh, basically, zapped him into thinking that all of his enemies were in the mansion, and so he's like fighting them, and he's really fighting the X Men. And when he, when it wears off, he looks around. And there's like you know pile of dead X Men around him. Um, when I when what my impression was before the movie, I'd kind of heard rumblings that, you know, cause I, you saw in the red band trailer, that scene where uh, Charles is kind of 
having a, a moment in the house and the, and the, uh, the Reavers are getting, uh, you know, they're basically coming unglued, like quite literally. Um, I was thinking that it was perhaps Charles that inadvertently caused Wolverine to snap or something like that. And it was still like the old man, Logan, like these two guys basically had broken themselves and killed the rest of the X-Men. Uh, Charles from a minute from his like mental health and, and, you know, just stability that triggered what was inside of Wolverine or like, you know, turned me primal or whatever. And he, you know, they killed all the rest of them. That's what I thought it was going to be. And then I think the way they did it uh, was really good. So it was a really good directorial choice in terms of like, just keeping that one close to the vest and basically letting you dis- discover it over the course of the movie. Cause that, there's probably a few people that more than a few people like me that walked in having a generally a pretty good idea of what the old man Logan storyline was that, this was a great case of a guy that took it basically had an homage to that storyline and several other ones, but didn't like hook himself to it like uh, completely. And he kind of sort of made his own, own sort of artistic choices. So really, I would say overall really good movie where the, whether you call it a good comic book movie or not, it's still just a really good movie. And it would not surprise me if there's a couple, if, if uh, Patrick Stewart doesn't get like a best supporting actor nod, you know, in this upcoming awards award season here in about nine or ten months. Yeah, he won't though. It's too far forward or too far ahead. The movie came out too and soon. For it's that. possible, but they're they're pretty good at like reviving these kind of things like right before uh right before uh you know awards time. Yeah, maybe. We'll see. Anything right. else on Logan? Yeah, let's let's do a quick uh down the list of your your rating like uh out of ten. Uh Zell? Uh eight. I don't know. It's not the greatest movie I've ever seen, but it, it was good. Um, I, I mean, the the one thing I would say, if I had to give it a, a downside, um, is it didn't, it, like, good superhero movies do have a compelling villain, and this really didn't. Um, but, obviously, everything between the, the main cast was amazing. Alright, Pete? Um, I'm gonna give it eight and a half, nine, teetering somewhere on there. I really enjoyed the flick. Um, kind of disappointed that Hurt was not played during the credit roll, uh, mm-hmm. since we got so much of it during the trailers. Instead, we got uh, Man Comes Around, which not a bad song, but I would have liked to see Hurt. All right, Jay. Uh, I'm I'm gonna have to. I I actually see Zell's point quite well. Uh, I'm not gonna say the the villains weren't good. I would say they were very well done, but I I actually viewed the villains as really sort of facilitators of the story. They weren't really driving factors in it, so to speak. Uh, so I had a slightly different view on it than, than Zell, but I, I don't disagree with you know, the fact that they were not like major, major powerhouses in the movie. But I, I my, my guess is I don't think they were necessarily intended to be either. Uh, so I would probably give this one somewhere around an eight and a half, not quite a nine. Uh, had a few minor blemishes here and there, but it's really difficult to, to punch it down based on the, the weight of the actors' performances in it. All right, and and yeah, I'm kind of with with you and Bait on that. Probably like eight and a half, not quite a nine. That's that's probably good. But it's it's not perfect by any means. It has some flaws, but still, overall, really well balanced, really solid movie. Um, definitely, definitely worth seeing if you haven't already. Um, hopefully you didn't listen to this to get too spoiled. But uh, yeah, no, good stuff. So I, I really enjoyed that. So, uh, so. That aside, uh, speaking of, of franchise movies, uh, there is rumors kind of bouncing around through Hollywood Reporter that they are planning on making a new Matrix film. Um, 
just kind of kind of out of left field. I didn't really. I kind of figured they were they were done with that, and that was going to be it. But I guess they're they're kind of poking it again. Uh, it's not a reboot. They they want to take a look at it with new characters, new story, kind of like uh, uh, what was that one? The, the Animatrix, um, where it was kind of a series of side stories set in the Matrix universe, but not directly about Neo or anything like that. Um, Keanu Reeves says he's not involved. Uh, he would consider it if the Wach- uh, Wachowski siblings were involved, but they are currently not on the project or, or part of it. Um, so it's kind of just, you know, it's, it's just being put on by Warner Brother. Um, and it looks like, Jay, you said it, it might be a prequel about young Morpheus. Yeah, well, that's the that's a little bit of the reporting that's going on right now. It's uh, it, it's and I could kind of see that because I think they're turning to uh, – uh, hang on, let me let me pull him up. He was I just saw him just a minute ago. Yeah. Okay. It looks like uh, it looks like they're they're talking about it being a uh, uh, a prequel. Uh, this discussing Morpheus and it uses the kit that was in Apollo. Uh, the the from the Fantastic Four movie. Um, Johnny Storm from the Fantastic from that really horrible Fantastic Four movie from last year. Nobody this, knows uh, who you're talking about because nobody saw it except me. I saw it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Is it, is it Michael B. Jordan? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So it's it, from Creed. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. Apollo. I'm, I apologize for that. It's Creed. So, which by the way, Creed, phenomenal movie. The, uh, but yeah, that's and that's literally the the initial discussion points that I've seen that have has anything to do with it because immediately people are like, oh my god, you can't reboot this. Apparently, the director, if I'm reading this correctly, he basically said. Yeah, there's no way that you could you could reboot a movie like The Matrix and get it right. It is, you know, he basically said that you know those three movies are you, you can't really mess with those. You have to work around them if you want to use the uh, like the you know the the story world, if you will. And so he's basically he he's like, yeah, we'd like to tell you know like tell a story about Morpheus. So it I could you know that could work. It'd be sort of like you know the initial initial stages of the of the of this version of the human revolution or whatever. I will say this though, I'm not I'm not normally a major fan of prequels unless they're extraordinarily well done. Uh, because the bar is really high that you have to meet. So I'm a little sketchy on this one. I'll also say that the way the Wykowski sisters now, because they're not brothers anymore, um, it, if you don't believe me, look it on the look it up on the interwebs. Uh, the way the Wykowskis ended those three movies, it's really hard to figure out where they would have gone in the future with these, though. Um, and I would still, to this day, by the way, contend that uh, Neo was not the one; that Agent Smith was the one. Just for the record. Yeah, I mean, the, especially with uh, the second and third films, there was a lot of interpretation up to what the whole the whole meaning behind it was. Um, it almost, like you said, it felt like they were kind of turning the expectations set in the first film on its head, and it was very kind of confusing about what, uh, well, not confusing, but unclear about what they were, what direction they were taking it, and the ending is obviously quite cryptic. Uh, so, you know, it, it's it's interesting to see. I think that in terms of a prequel with Morpheus, I think that's not a bad choice. He's obviously a very critical character, but not the main character. Um, and a lot of what happens in the trilogy is because of him. Uh, so if you were going to pick someone from the characters we know, I think that's probably the best choice uh, out of the options that would, that would make sense. I'm glad to hear the Wachowskis are not involved in this actually. Um, like their, their newer movies are like not good. <laughs> well, and matrix two and three were, 
pretty shaky, to be honest. Like the first one was solid, but two and three was like. Eh, like I mean, like you know, did you did you see like what was it? I think Cloud Atlas was theirs, and then like the the what's it called? Um, uh, Jupiter Ascending was theirs too. Oh yeah, I, I saw Jupiter Ascending. That was that I was mean, a mess. <laughs> they had such pretty spaceships, but. That was about the the best you could say for that show. It, it was a great movie. art book. It was, yeah, like, it it's, was really pretty, but the story was just like. Whoa, and I mean, that's like the Wachowskis have not made a good movie in a long time. I don't. I don't think I really. I, I think the fact that they're not involved is probably a good thing. Yeah, but but like Jay said, I I, I do worry about a prequel and it perhaps falling into the the kind of mindset that Matrix Two and Three had, where it was you know, a little more focus on the action. I think it, it, it tried a little too hard to, to push the envelope with the visuals. And I think it lost something in the process. I, I do worry that it might end up going that route. Uh, Cause it is, it would be difficult, I think, to really kind of recreate the, the magic, so to speak, that was the first matrix film. So, you know, this might be one of those things where it's like, you might just want to let it be, but you know, we'll, we'll see. I mean, this is again, in the very early planning stages, it's not, in production by any means so who knows what they actually end up doing with it but uh yeah it'll be interesting you just gotta stop rebooting shit uh but that's that's hard babe that means people gotta come up with new stuff i forbid somebody come up with a new fucking idea man i just saw the trailer for the new chips movie man Fuck that oh movie. that was horrible <sighs> i'm still gonna go see it though because i really like chips, i i can't i can't watch that see it. Like that, like that's like. Um, I actually thought the Ben Stiller, um, what the 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 Starsky and Hutch movie that they came out, that was mm-hmm. actually not bad, and it still kind of it kind of was definitely a little bit more comedic version of the original original Starsky and Hutch, and they kind of had the old guys come in for a little cameo. That was actually kind of cool, but uh, like from what I saw with with Chips, it was just it's just it's just not good. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't look at all. I'm waiting, I mean, for the, I'm waiting for the emergency movie now. I mean, they, they basically took a fairly straight-laced, you know, really kind of positive sort of um, show from the early 80s mm-hmm. and, and destroyed it. I mean, that, that was actually legitimately one of the first movie, uh, TV series that was out there that had a, uh, you know, Eric Estrada, like a, a non-Caucasian guy is basically the lead. Uh, it, it was. I mean, you, they're just going to destroy this thing for for no reason other than they think it's going to be funny. And, and and having seen most of the people in the in this movie, it they're not funny. No, no, they're not. The R rating really surprised me when I saw I saw the trailer for it on TV. Like, what yeah, what? Who the fuck? Why would you make a Chips movie R rated? That is nuts. I don't know, but they needed titties apparently, so there are titties in the movie. I, I assume they're trying to go for like a Super Troopers vibe, you know, is that, that's the best oh, I can come up with. God, I hope not. You can only do Super Troopers once. Can't do it again. When's that one coming out? I, I, I'm not familiar with it, so I'm, uh, what, what date is that coming out? Do you know? <laughs> like Thursday. It's Thursday. Oh, jeez. That's soon. 24th. I'll, I'll probably be passing on that one because I saw that trailer too. I, I, I'm not familiar with, with the whole franchise or whatever, but I was like, oh, I no, not my not my thing. But uh, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> um. Now, one thing that that is actually getting a sequel that I'm I'm actually rather enjoying is there was a cartoon that came out on Cartoon Network um, many years ago. I'm not even sure how long ago it was now, but it was it's been quite a while. Um, by the name of Samurai Jack, and it was a, a very interesting stylized uh, bit of art that I think went four seasons. 
and I was a huge fan back in the day. And anyone who's seen it will understand that it was it was pretty unique. You know, it was it was very different from everything else in at the time, and it was you know, just very well written. And it was unfortunately canceled after uh, four seasons. Well, after a very long time and much fan demand, uh, they have decided to make a fifth season, which I believe is maybe 10 episodes. Uh, and that started airing uh, a couple weeks ago. So I think episode two just uh, was the other day. So I think episode three is coming up here. And uh, it's been it's been interesting. If, if you're a fan of the series, um, I'll just say short summary, check it out. You're, you're going to like it. Um, if you're new to it, it is a very interesting art style, like I said. Um, and I have to say that over the years, when I, back when I watched it, I was younger, it, it, it fit my personality quite well, and, and my, my likes and tastes were, were, were very good. And with this fifth uh, season, since so much time has passed, I've gotten older, different experiences in my life. Um, but I have to say that the tone they've taken with it has shifted quite a bit. It's the same kind of charm it's always had, but they've really implemented a lot of themes and ideas into it, which are uh, quite a bit more mature to a point where actually Cartoon Network itself is not airing it. It's now Adult Swim uh, that, that that's playing it. And they, they're tackling stuff like you know, loss, PTSD, the um, mental effects of you know killing people, because like in the original series, he was always fighting robots, and now he, you know, he's fighting actual people. And it, it's it's a really good feeling because I'm, I'm, I kind of went into expecting kind of the same, you know, younger, a little more juvenile um, sort of, sort of, uh, you know, series. And it was like, wow, this is actually kind of heavy, gritty stuff. Like this is what I like now. This is kind of what my tastes have evolved into. And I think it's, it goes to show that the producer of the show, it's the same guy um, uh, is really aware of, of kind of how much time has passed and that the people who enjoyed the show initially are, older and they probably like a little more you know grit and, and deeper meaning into their their show and I, I just I, I just you know I was very impressed with it. I had to say that the guy is, is did a really good job the whole team is just fantastic um, yeah so uh, are any of you in here familiar with the series oh yeah absolutely um, so I, the, the original was a Cartoon Network series that came out and um, but even before that there is so I, I missed it. So Pokey and I were actually like uh, uh, throwing, having a quick conversation right before the show uh, on Skype about this. So I had mentioned that there was a graphic novel uh, about Samurai Jack, bef- well before, well, well, well before the Cartoon Network series. Uh, I was not, I was not entirely correct. So there is one, uh, and it was a, it was a car, as a graphic novel by Frank Miller, who wrote some of the most incredible gritty adult comic book lines you've ever seen some of the just absolutely classic daredevil and batman stuff that is has uh, really you know, true like iconic uh, sort of stories in there and uh frank miller pulls no punches in his in his style so to speak you know no pun intended and he wrote a uh, a book called ronin that is exactly the same story uh, almost pound for pound as uh, the premise behind Samurai Jack, which is basically a samurai from medieval Japan. He's fighting a demon, defeats the demon, uh, and then in the very instant where they're both going to be, you know, basically, you know, the demon's going to going to get, you know, his head cut off by the magic katana, he creates a time warp or he rips a hole in time and sends uh, the samurai forward, well forward into the future, like far far beyond our current future. And uh, so the time that he wakes up in is 
as though uh, the demon had taken over the world that, you know, several thousand years earlier, so to speak. Um, and he goes through a lot of, you know, classic sort of like total fish out of water, man, at, man out of time sort of things. But a really interesting bent to it because he's this incredibly stoic character. And, uh, and you know, fast forward, he has to make friends and, and uh, you know, form attachments here in the, in the modern world and then seek out the, the demon in his new form and uh and then fight him and and i believe in the case of both samurai jack the cartoon and the and ronin it eventually takes the it's like a demonic ai slash cybernetic being uh, so it, it quite literally is a almost a direct lift from the frank miller comic and to include some of the style and some of the the language tones in it the cartoon network version was um not quite as a not nearly as an adult as the frank miller ronin run uh but my my general impression of this kind of reboot or this sort of re, retake on it is actually a little closer to what Frank Miller actually wrote like many, many years ago. So I, I would really highly, highly encourage folks to check that out. Um, go on to Comixology. You can probably pull it down for not much. And it's got kind of a manga Bandai style like artwork to it. So it's kind of cool if you're like an anime guy back in the day. Uh, so since Pokey turned me on to this, I actually got on and, and watched probably about 15 minutes, almost, the, almost the entirety of the first episode. It's actually really good. It's as much as you can tell from, from the first episode of a, of a new animated series, it seems to be pretty solid. Now, did you watch the first episode of season one or did you start with the season five? No, no, no. The, the season one. Okay. Cause I will say that season five, it takes place after a time skip. So if you're just interested in kind of getting into, um, the series, but you don't want to watch the other four seasons for whatever reason. Um, as far as I can tell, you don't really have to have the information that you gain, at least from what I've seen so far, um, because it does kind of re-explain what's going on. Um, but yeah, no, I, I do suggest you you watch the whole thing. Um, and then upcoming with the season five stuff, it is airing on um, Adult Swim. The schedule is uh, a little a little um, inconsistent. I think the next episode is episode three is uh, airing at 7 p.m. and 11.30 p.m. Pacific time on uh, shit next Wednesday, I think. So this this coming Wednesday. Um, but yeah, you should check on their their, their website, their schedule to actually nail down the exact time that it'll be showing. But uh, absolutely worth your time. If if you are at all a fan of the, the concept or, or obviously a, a longtime fan of the show like I was, um, you should check it out and, and see what it has to offer. I, I don't, uh, I'm trying to think where season one through four is available. Um, Kiss uh, cartoon. Netflix, maybe. Uh, apparently, this is what's called Kiss Cartoon. My brother is saying that has uh, the seasons one through one through five actually are available. I'm not sure if that's legal streaming or not, but it is available there. Um, I do suggest that you, you purchase it though, if, if if at all possible, because it is it is worth supporting the the creator for this one. Okay, that sounds. Hey, do you mind if I throw a uh, side pitch on another animated thing that uh, uh, just sure. kind of popped up? Yeah, go so, for it. Uh, I, I don't know how many of you guys are semi into uh, the star Wars rebels uh, cartoon uh, pretty well done animated series that definitely sort of fills in a lot of, and it's actually very much part of the, the new canon, if you will. Uh, and there's a lot of uh, ways that they weave things into the stories that are starting to come to, in, come to fruition in some of the current star Wars stuff. Uh, you had the, the decisive and final showdown between Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Maul uh, 
this week, this last week, rather. It was actually a really, really well done episode. Uh, it was sort of the old men right before, uh, you know, not too far before, maybe a couple of years before, well, probably about four or five years before uh, A New Hope happened, uh, episode four, if you will. And you know, him and Darth Maul like have their their basically their duel in the desert, uh, and it's it is a very it's it's a very it's it's a really neat episode. Uh, it does not go the way you you believe it will go, and it is quite quite decisive that Darth Maul is finally dead this time. <laughs> My bad. Been it for, for how many how many seasons through uh, through all of it? It's like Jesus, because he was in um, he's Clone, in Wars Clone Wars too. Clone Wars too, yeah. right? I didn't realize yeah. they brought him back for Rebels. Oh yeah, he's, he he was a pretty major character in that the uh, in and out. It, it was it's kind of interesting for for a, a neat villain that was effectively like bisected in half, you know, uh, by Obi Wan in the very first prequel. He was they they found a lot of very creative ways that they found a a creative way to bring him back as a little bit of a Dusix Machina. Um, he more or less like the, his lower half is all cybernetic, so it's uh. It, it is kind of interesting, uh, but they definitely had to put a pin on that character because there's no way that they he could have made it out of Star Wars Rebels because it, it was the timeline was getting too close to uh, like the, the movie canon, uh, so to speak. And, and it was really well done. I mean, it was just a pretty good episode. And you know, they have like a few episodes of Star. Generally, Star Wars Rebels is not a that's a show that I kind of keep tabs on, and I watch specific episodes. Uh, and they'll bring in like power hitter, you know, directors to, to do certain episodes and stuff like that. Uh, and they, they are definitely in tune with the, you know, kind of the vibe of the characters. The one that they did where they actually brought Darth Vader back and he had a showdown with, uh, his former student Ahsoka. That was a really good episode. Uh, there's quite a few of them that are dotted throughout. I, I don't know that I could say you need to sit through every one of the episodes, but there's, there's a handful that are just really, really well done. Uh, and this was this was one of them. And where yeah, can I've we watch that? Say again. I said, where is that being aired at? Uh, I don't know. It's basically on my DVR. Hang on. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I've been. Uh, I was actually because one of my complaints about uh, Rogue One was uh, the Saw Gerrera character. Like, where the hell did this guy come from? Like, he's in the movie for five seconds and then he's you know dead. Um, and then come to find out, he's actually got a major role in uh, Star Wars Rebels. I was like, oh. That's actually kind of badass that they they kind of lead into Rogue One with uh, with characters from the from the, the series. I've been very impressed with how well the Clone Wars and um, Rebels have been doing. I I kind of initially just kind of poo pooed the whole thing because it was like, eh, they've tried to do animated Star Wars stuff before and it was kind of crap. And then a few seasons into Clone Wars running, people were like, oh no, it's 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 really good, man. Like, you should check it out. So that, that's really solid. I haven't had a chance to check out Rebels yet, but uh, I, I do need to get on that. Yeah, it's, so it's on Disney XD. Um, oh, okay. That's that's it's. I mean, it is a pure Lucas film, like uh, Lucas animated kind of kind of operation. Really well done. Uh, Steve Blum, you know, character actor, you know, voice actor extraordinaire is on it. Uh, Freddie Prince Jr. is you know he plays Kanan, the uh, kind of the surviving Jedi guy that's on there. So it's uh it's pretty it's pretty solid. I, I would have to say it's actually quite quite well done. There's a lot of speculation that the the like the teenage character Ezra uh, is going to be the person that uh, uh, Benicio del Toro plays in the next Star Wars movie. Oh, now I, I cool. don't know that. Yeah, That'd I don't cool. know that it put a lot of credence into it, but there's, but 
there's definitely some some serious discussion that 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 is a that is a popular fan theory, if you will, that he that Ezra Bridger is uh, because he basically is starting to gr- grow towards the dark side in the in the TV series. He's definitely sort of like riding the fence, and you could kind of see him kind of maybe eventually going that way, so to speak. All right, pretty cool stuff. So. Speaking of, of other space fun stuff, uh, let's get into Mass Effect Andromeda. Uh, as, as you're probably well aware, it releases uh, in a couple days. I'm not sure when this, this episode will go live, but it'll be hype. coming out. Hype! Hype! On, on uh, March 21st is when it's coming out. But Which is probably when this podcast is going out. It's just this probably But <laughs> there's been some, some issues with people's faces, um, <laughs> specifically character animations. Uh, in general, but a lot to do with the animations on the characters' faces, and I, I, I know that that Baden and Zell are pretty, pretty big fans of Andromeda or Mass Effect in general. Uh, have you seen some of the the videos that people have been posting of these glitches? I, I have. <laughs> um, I've also seen the original trilogy, so you know. I mean, Mass Effect is not exactly um, unknown for for having hilarious face cosmetic animation snafus. I mean, there are there are many memes based on like really weird Shepard facial expressions from the original trilogy. Um, I mean, I, I will say that you know, I I think I mentioned this actually when we were talking when we were talking about the launch trailer. Um, you know, there's there's a couple shots even in the, the cinematic trailer where you're like, their animation could use some work. And, you know, it's been it's been ten years since this franchise started, and it doesn't feel like their the uh animation quality has gotten any better. <laughs> but, you know, for for what it is, I, I, I feel I feel like we are maybe gonna be playing a game that, you know, ha- hasn't changed in, in uh you know, technological quality, at least in in the past 10 years. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. Well, if you're familiar with the Fallout series, you know that's that holds true for that one, too. You've got the same sort of glitches you've had for a decade, you know. But, uh, yeah, no, this, this is pretty funny. The one I saw was uh, they had created kind of the uh, thematic trailer, that the, the launch trailer, basically. Um, but then put in all of the footage of the characters saying the lines, but with these particular glitches, it was, it was absolutely hilarious. Um, apparently they were asking the developer like, Hey, are you going to fix this? Like that day one patch you're going to do. And they're like, uh, yeah, no, no, it's going to be like that on day one. You'll have to wait for, for future updates to fix the problem. So, uh, I'm not sure what the, their, their track record is for, in actually fixing these problems, but uh, expect that when Mass Effect does come out, you probably will get some pretty funny moments you can screenshot and and share with friends for for hilarious moments. Just uh, check Skype really quick and click the link. It's from the original. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> it looks like a joke character from like uh, Dark Souls <laughs> face. It's great. Um, yeah, but that's good stuff. And again, Mass Effect Andromeda is coming out on March 21st. It's Tuesday. So if you're going to pick that one up, it, it should be Oh, I already picked it up. I got the pre-order. I got the pre-order for the special collector's edition, this and that crud side stuff. I got the art book ordered. You know, I ordered all of it. I, sp- I think I spent more money on extra stuff outside the game than I spent on the actual game. Hey, so what comes in the collector's edition? Are there any, like, cool models or yeah, shit? Well, so it's kind of weird. Around. So the physical collector's edition of the game doesn't really seem to have anything almost. Is there, the like, you? well, first of all, you can't even buy a physical version of, like, the the game for PC. Um, they 
it's sold through origin so like they the (laughs) the standard only edition that i was able to buy on amazon so i'd get the discount um is literally just the case with a code in it they literally send you a box and when you open the box there's not even like a slot for a disc it's just the code in a little sheet of paper it's great that's how that's how origin uh that's how they sold titanfall 2 and mirror's edge catalyst as well (laughs) um it's 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 a it's a dvd case with a with a sheet of paper in it with the code um and the funny thing is it's cheaper to buy it that way than to buy it online um because amazon will give prime users a 12 dollar discount uh on physical video games so it's it's a a code in a box it's cheaper to ship me a code in the box than it is to just give me the dang game online um but uh it seems like they're they're kind of packing extras they're selling extra like on the side this time there is a uh like a a model of their new rover thing that's like a 100 bucks for like their Sweet. collector's edition model but it's not being sold as part of the game in any package it's just you can buy it on the side and then um what i bought is for games that i really like i tend to buy the hardcover um strategy guide thing not not really because i intend to use it but because it's kind of a neat uh you know it's neat to read some of the extra stuff they throw in the side and they put some artwork in there too and and you can sometimes see the maps and stuff like that it's fun um and they actually have like a collector's edition like guide package that not only has like the hardcover book but has like a andromeda initiative backpack and like a, a fold-out map and there's like a whole big it's like a 70 dollar package for like for the collect for the guide <laughs> and so there's that and then there's an art book which is a completely separate order bioware needs to patch their irl content they got a, they have a ton of merch there's like there is tons of merchandise for with andromeda initiative logos and stuff like that yeah i'm I'm looking at the just at the little rover thing there's like three different versions of this rover there's a 200 dollars remote controlled version there's a non-remote controlled version which is what it sounds like zell was talking about and then there's a little uh one to 64 scale diecast model yeah they they don't they don't get around on, on on merchandise i mean the mass effect like the original trilogy stuff is like think geek had like half their store dedicated to it for a while Alrighty, so yeah, uh, that'll be you'll have to give us a review on that Zell, once you uh, pick it up and play it for a week or two. So we'll looking forward to that one to see if I want to if I want to pick it up or not. Uh, but in other spacey goodness, uh, Space Hulk Deathwing. This is kind of that Warhammer 40k game that came out on PC. Word. We talked about it a while ago. Yeah, uh, did not get the best reviews um, when it first came out. A lot of performance issues. Uh, people said it's it's a really great. Um, you know, fan service to people who are familiar with the series, but it kind of loses its interest after a while. Uh, they are patching it uh, coming up here with some new weapons, uh, new enemy behavior, just kind of new ways to, to mix up the gameplay, make it a little more interesting. Uh, and this is kind of the, the feel that I, I got from it when I, I decided to pass on As People said, don't buy this game right right away. But developers for this these games tend to patch it several times after it comes out and it ultimately ends up being a really solid game it's just super shaky on release so um that's kind of what i'm waiting for right now uh just to see you know does it get to a point where it's it's you know worth uh worth picking up and then giving a shot so uh that one came out it was on sale uh for a couple days this past week but i believe that is over but still it's it's like uh 40 bucks on steam so it's it's not even a full 60 dollars game so if, if you are interested and, and want to check out the new uh patch you can go pick that one up hmm. that's uh i was taking a look at that that 
I think you described it incredibly well. That game was a visually a really cool, you know, sort of uh, hook for all the Warhammer 40k fans. It's it's a really cool premise. The way, they've got some really novel ways that they're approaching, you know, what is a fairly you know, if you think about a fairly crowded co-op first-person shooter kind of world, um, but they, but I, if all I read through the patch notes today, and if they actually inject all those, it might turn out to be pretty solid. It's just really unfortunate that that's really starting to uh, that that is truly the vibe of let us let us push this thing out the door, hope that it survives contact with like you know the with whoever's reviewing it long enough for us to put a patch on and make it the game we actually thought it was going to be when we shipped it, uh, which is, which is it's really unfortunate because I, I think there's quite a few games out there that actually, if they had done that work before shipping it would have been much more financially viable for the companies that put them out there as opposed to what they ended up getting. Yeah. I think there's a, a certain game we are all very familiar with that, that could also learn from that, that <laughs> philosophy. I'm <laughs> just throwing that out there. Um, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. That it is a, a, a pretty bad trend that it's, it's almost kind of like, uh, you know, just push it out the door and, you know, the hype and nostalgia will keep it going long enough for us to patch the damn thing and, you know, and make it somewhat respectable eventually, which is, really crappy for the for the the players but uh, it is it is a problem and possibly covered a bit here um but yeah another another game stuff coming out with blizzard this time uh real short they 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 released some new footage for their necromancer class that they are going to be adding to diablo 3 um if you're a fan of diablo it's it's certainly worth checking out Uh, it's kind of a reimagining of the necromancer class from diablo 2 added some new stuff uh with of course all of the diablo 3 visual polish and and stuff like that so it is definitely worth checking out uh we will get a link in the description for the video kind of linking you to those uh, those those animations so you can check it out. That's going to be part of uh, a premium content package probably releasing in the latter half of 2017. So still some time to wait on that one. But uh, again, it's if you're a fan of Diablo 3, definitely worth checking out. I love the uh, I love the term premium content package. I just wanted to add that. That's well, that's they've been good, releasing that's a, a great marketing speak. Well, they do release a lot of free content for Diablo three. So I, I you know, know, but I, I, I it's, get it. it's it's paid DLC is what it yeah. is. Yeah, well, you know, it, I just it, it, it's kind of like how Division wasn't going to have microtransactions, I just, and then it's, in the dev blog, they're like it's not a microtransaction because you're buying the currency in a bulk. Like, I mean, did you God see the? Whole, did, uh, this is a complete sidebar, but I have to bring this up. Did you see the whole thing with Google Home this week? <sighs> Someone linked it to me. I didn't click on it. So what's going on with that? So they had so they had this thing where they literally put an ad in Google Home where it it told people about the new Beauty and the Beast movie coming out and this and that right uh, in the middle of like a, a generic message about like how how your day is you know you know what's going on today and I'm trying to get the article up because their the their response was great it it was one of the most beautiful responses to criticism I've ever seen um, don't worry the silence gets cut out in post. Eh, forget it. I it, they literally said like this isn't an ad. It's uh, w- but we invite our partners to share experiences w- to be our guest and experience share. Exp- oh they, my they literally God. they literally dropped like more Beauty and the Beast lines into the into their line responding about it being not being an ad. And and it was it was just so beautifully 
deceptive Google. marketing speak. It was just, it was, it was brilliant. It was beautifully Google. No, that's, that's funny. I, I, I've yet to have my Amazon echo, even though it's probably spying on me and, and telling the internet, my secrets to actually cram ads down my throat. So that's, that's pretty funny, but yeah. So uh, continuing on with, with blizzard. Uh, so overwatch stuff, uh, we, we always got lots of stuff coming out of overwatch. So it looks like blizzard is now suing the company called Bossland for $8.5 million damages caused by uh, oh, a, pro- a program that Bossland has produced, which basically is cheats for, for Overwatch. I found and- it. I found it. I'm oh. going to read it. I'm okay. sorry. Um, the Google spokesman gave the following statement. This isn't an ad. The beauty in the assistant is that it invites our partners to be our guest and share their tales. <sighs> That's right. disgusting. So That's disgusting. <laughs> all right. So, uh, Bossland, yes. Um, yes. So, yeah, it's yeah. Bliz- Blizzard's been going at these guys for years. Um, yeah, they had one earlier this year. Yeah, a big, a, pretty much the main part of their business is selling cheats for uh, Blizzard games, and this started all the way back with with WoW. Um, the the program's called Honor Buddy for WoW. And uh, they've they've gone around and literally every time Blizzard releases a new game, Bossland makes a hacking tool for it. Yeah, and I mean it, it's gotten to a point where Bossland is now just not responding to anything. Like they had a uh, a court order where they had to respond to the court order within 24 hours, and they just ignored it because they're. I guess that's that's their their method for for trying to dodge the the legal process. And, and there's actually a pretty in depth legal description that, that the Blizzard. Uh, lawyers kind of put out that they think that the reason they're doing it is to avoid uh, the legal system here in the U S and in, by keeping silent, it kind of protects them for, again, it's, it's all a lot of legal. Yeah. Avoid avoiding evidence coming or evidence coming up in say a case in Germany from being used as to sue them in the U S. Pretty much. Yeah. But uh, yeah. And it's, it's really interesting because it, they're like going off of some some kind of obscure or, or seemingly, uh, you know, you you think about like this is a hacking thing, this is a cheat tool, and so you want to say, well, this has got to be illegal from sort of some sort of hacking Blizzard thing, but they're technically like they're technically using a client that modifies the client on the the cheater's computer, which they choose to do. So they're not really hacking Blizzard; they're kind of hacking the 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 cheater's computer, which is not unwanted by that person. Um, and so it's, it's technically, it's not like it's a hacking claim that they can go with. Um, I mean, the, the, like the best case scenario for, for a multiplayer game is for the multi, for the game client, not to know anything that the player shouldn't know is to treat, treat the, the, um, the client is in the hands of the enemy is the, the line that I, I heard back in a game development. Um, and, uh, but almost every game cheats to that some degree as they let the game client have access to a certain amount of information so that the game client can help render the user's experience. And so these tools just kind of look in behind the, you know, behind the curtain on your computer to see what information you're really not supposed to know and then show it to you. Um, and, uh, so they, but it's technically from that regards, not, not hacking. So yeah. they're going with it. At, at, we're, they're going at it as copyright infringement, which is eh. well. It's it's also they're they're saying that it's damaging to the business because the tool gives players an unfair advantage that would cause other players to not spend money on the game because they quit the game because how's of the that cheating. illegal? It, it, and that's well, that's <laughs> that, that's the thing. Is it, it? Yeah, I mean the thing is, is damaging another company's uh, another uh, some other company's business in itself 
is not a crime because obviously when you do a good job at, at, at if you're a competitor, for example, you're harming another company's business. And so they're, I mean, they're saying it's a, it's a really, it's kind of a legal stretch. So I kind of, I understand why this is a difficult case. Um, it just, it's just so cruddy all around. Like, where do you, that's, that's, this is, this is their guy's life is to, is to make, is to ruin the game for everybody else. Um, that's their business. Sounds like goons. Oh, that's, that's harsh. It's it's, it's really just harshly honest. I'm I'm just saying, (laughs) but yeah, I I think in, in many cases, this is Blizzard just kind of throwing their weight around to kind of discourage anyone from, from even attempting this sort of thing. I mean, they may not have a legal standing for getting money out of boss land, but they can certainly try to scare would be, you know, uh, hack developers from, from getting involved because, you know, you, you usually don't want to piss off the legal team of a company as large as Blizzard um, if you don't have to. So I, I can kind of see that it might be more of an intimidation tactic, if anything. I mean, honestly, I, I'm Blizzard's good enough at what they do and has the money to throw around. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm sure the claim that they have is is legit. I'm just saying it's it's a it's a little bit of a stretch to pull off something that is really hard to criminalize, even though it's really just shoddy behavior. Like some people are just unpleasant people and make life unpleasant for other people. And that's kind of how I feel like about people who make hacking tools for games. And goods for That's harsh. <laughs> okay, let's move along here. Um, so uh, in kind of an ongoing series that, that Bait and I are kind of bouncing back and forth, uh, we've been going over uh, freebie games on both PS4 and Xbox. And so last week, Bait kind of covered uh, Layers of Fear, which is that, that horror game that's available for free for Xbox One uh, users. And in this week, I picked up a game called Lumo, which is available on PlayStation 4. It's free if you have PlayStation Plus. And uh, it was it was kind of interesting. It was definitely an indie game. It was very simplistic. Uh, I'd say a lot of the models in it were probably directly out of the stock database that Unity has available. Um, and basically what it was is, in short terms, it was an isometric, isometric platformer where you kind of play as a... A guy who gets sucked into a computer game, and it's kind of this old old style of, you know, you're, you're kind of going an isometric Diablo-looking thing, and you're this little wizard guy, and you're, you're bouncing on platforms and trying to collect stuff, and there's, there's very little um, instruction. It's just kind of like, yep, here's the door, figure it out, you know. So it, it's definitely a callback to kind of more uh, traditional uh, gaming in that it's it's not as holding your hand quite as much. Um, and so I was kind of putzing around probably about an hour, and I, I got through a couple floors of the game, and I think there's like 14 floors total, so it's not a terribly long game. But, you know, it was it was nice. It was just kind of a, a very calm, you know, not a lot of... If you fall off and land the, in the poison, you just kind of respawn instantly, and you get to try it again. So it's, it's not a really punishing game. It, it's really good if you kind of want to sit back and relax and work your way through the levels and uh you know kind of figure out the puzzles and there's a map that you can find and it's you know it's it's simple it's charming you know it's a very much an indie game don't expect big flashy features and anything like that um but i liked it and the fact that it was very straightforward it was just you know an isometric platformer um so it's not something i would probably buy but it's it's worth picking up for free that's your your kind of thing and it's available to you on on ps4 um sit down with it for a couple hours, you know, just kind of relax, chill. You know, if you just want to waste a few hours on a rainy day, I think it's, it's really worth your time to kind of give it a shot. If, if you do kind of like those more classic style games. So, um, 
yeah, it's kind of my brief review of Lumo. Like I said, there's not much to it, so that's that's kind of it. But uh, do check it out on PS4 uh, for the month of March if you do have PlayStation Plus. It is free. Uh, another game that was actually suggested to me today um, by Cross2, if I remember him, he was on CPM 1 and 2, if you were a Dust player, uh, called uh, Amma's Lullaby. And this is kind of a point-and-click uh, cyberpunk adventure. It's, it's, it's on Kickstarter right now. Uh, I'm not sure exactly where they're at in terms of funding, but uh, it, it does. It, it's got kind of along the lines of uh, like a Blade Runner almost feel to it. And it looks, it looks you know... Again, it's it's very much an indie game, but th- that in itself, I think, is definitely positive. Uh, I, I know you're a big fan of this kind of style, Jay. Did you take a look at this one? I did, actually. Um, I'd seen that. I troll Kickstarter every once in a while. I'm in kind of my ongoing quest to, to find uh, good indie indie game developers. Um, and I was actually familiar with this before Cross shot us the note on it. And um, it looks like, so they've got some like basically pre-alpha uh, footage on there that you can kind of click on and take a look at. Like many, um, I call them like, you know, basement games or garage games. It definitely has the look of um, something that you probably would have played back in like the early 2000s, you know, in terms now in, in terms of the style, so to speak, or it is definitely a point and click. Uh, like you're watching your, your third person character and you're clicking around the map to interact on things or to move him in different places uh, or him or her. You know, there's kind of the standard merchant type things uh, that you got to you got to buy, sell things. Uh, as you can imagine, in in sort of a uh, near to mo- to uh, mid range future, you, you got to jack into into the network and you know do a lot of hacking type things. And uh, it's not a whole lot in terms of what what the storyline is. There there's not a lot of information on that. The visuals, I will say this, uh, look really good. Like it, it definitely you know, the, the art style and the artwork, it is very, very much reminiscent of a, uh, you know, of, of, you know, kind of a Blade Runner kind of classic cyberpunk kind of thing. So from that aspect, it, it, it is promising it, if I'm not mistaken though, they are a long way, a long way from being totally funded. I think what they're asking for is about a hundred K to put it together. Uh, and there's some, I think they're about 32, some you know like thirty-two thousand around something like that. So they're about a third, maybe a forty percent of the way there. And uh, I, for for frame of reference, um, like Hairbrain put out uh, Shadowrun Hong Kong for you know, a little over two million, something like that. Uh, so you'll get a that's a sense of scale of what you're going to get. It, you know, so to speak. Yeah, and it looks like the minimum uh, pledge, if you want to get the game with your pledge, is 15 euros, which I think is about $16 um, right now. So, if, and there's obviously tiers above that, but if you want like the minimum to actually get the game, uh, if it does come out, is about 16 bucks, which isn't isn't the highest, you know. But uh, like like Jay said, it's it, their their max uh, funding isn't nearly anything like you would see like with Hairbrain schemes, which if you're familiar with their games, you you know what kind of content to expect in the scale. So this is quite a bit smaller, but uh, but yeah, I mean the the visuals, like Jay said, it's it's really on point. It looks it looks really good, which you know you, you never know with the final product. But uh, the video is available on the Kickstarter if you do want to check it out. But yeah, so we'll get the link to the descri- link in the description to that one, uh, so you can kind of take a look at the site for yourself. Something you're interested in, uh, if you're a, a fan of doing Kickstarters or just that uh, genre in, in general, it's uh, definitely worth your time. So now moving into kind of our main discussion point here, and then we've kind of touched on this a couple times throughout the show. 
Uh, and it's one that I've kind of had sitting in the our list of, of topics for a while. I think it actually is pretty uh, it's pretty pertinent to talk about it now, um, particularly with a lot of the games coming out recently. So the topic is basically quality and game production, and we're starting to see with large budget, you know, quote unquote, AAA games coming out. Um, do you feel that the quality of the game has actually decreased? I'm not talking about you know, does it look cool? Because with, you know, $500 million Destiny budget, you can make anything look cool. But did it actually produce a good game? And then you compare that to something like Hairbrain Schemes for $2 bucks produced Shadowrun Hong Kong, which, you know, was actually a really good game, but of course not nearly as flashy because they don't have the funding for that. And I just kind of want to go around the table and get your guys' thoughts on the current state of you know, high budget gaming with large studios. Uh, do you think the quality is better or worse because of a high budget? And specifically, do you think that high budgets actually discourage interesting gameplay because of, of what's at risk? So um, just kind of throw it out there and whoever wants to speak up. Um, I'll, t- I'll take a stab at this one. And this is something we've we've kind of uh, talked around. And, and we, you know, by the way, on the show, we make no... Uh, no bones about the fact that we do have a soft spot for you know indie and small small development houses, uh, so to speak. They tend to turn out niche games that you know you, you that are if it's your kind of game, you really like it, so to speak. Um, that being said, there, there's a couple things going on here. So, as to your general premise of as budgets get bigger, do games get worse? I I would say on the surface. I don't, I don't think so, but it's a much more complex discussion than that. Uh, so like you said, you get, let's say you know, pulling a, a, the number out of the hat of 500 million, and that's going to be your pick your genre, AAA, you know, kind of mid-year tent pole for your development house. A large chunk of that 500 million is, is marketing. Uh, just look at what Call of Duty does. In turn, they have a phenomenal marketing machine uh, that goes on around that game franchise. And a lot of people throw rocks at Call of Duty, but the reality is it, it does first person shooter about as well as anything. You know, you get what you get exactly what you get out of that, which is a very, a very smooth, brilliant looking, uh, you know, kind of visceral action in your face sort of game with a lot of bells and whistles that, that go on it. And, that, and that's what you get. It's pretty well done for what it does. But they have a, a pretty a pretty creative and relentless marketing machine that that builds around it. So let's just say you got a five hundred million dollar budget and you're pushing that thing out. There there are some some studios or some game franchises that when they come out, you know that game is going to be incredibly well polished because it's usually an iterative game on top of something else that they've already done like a year or eighteen months earlier. So. There's that. There's that echelon. Uh, the other ones that spring to mind that are like, kind of like that were, you know, Madden was probably, you know, of like look big tent pole style games. It's you know sports game. Um, Call of Duty. There's a few other ones here and there that you can probably count that that kind of flow in that genre. Below that, you have a lot of other quote unquote AAA games that have a huge budget that don't deliver uh, or they they under deliver. It's the classic. I'm going to ship this thing and then there'll be a day one patch or a week two patch or something like that, that has to fix a, a, a ridiculous amount of bugs or missteps, but the hype machine was going really hard on the game and it went out. So, you know, on that one, I would offer that destiny when it first came out, 
if you if you look at Destiny when it first came out, not the Taken King version, which is really a soft reboot of that game, like if if you really want to get down to it. And that didn't have the hype machine, Paul McCartney singing and all this other jazz about it. If that game came out and hit the reviewers, they'd be like, well, it's, you know, it's kind of a neat shooter. Like really, well, you know, it's, uh, it's basically bare bones. Though. They're like, you don't know what the hell's going on in the world. It's like this, it alludes to this really deep storytelling a- a- aspect that would draw you into the game. But it's a, it's kind of a neat sort of pseudo open world shooter. And that's all. Now, and is that going to be enough to make you step away from other games and play it? Not really. But they had this incredible hype machine that that sunk so many people into that game. They basically had to ride it out a little bit uh, until the studio literally kind of like gave it a a little bit of a a kickstart with um, Taken King. So that's that's like kind of that upper tier. Then you've got like a much larger you know, part of the, you know, the middle of the bell curve of game developers that literally, you know, somewhere well below 500 million, let's, you know, call it a hundred million. They're pushing out stuff left to right and center and they're, they don't have the advertising budget and they're desperately trying to get games on the street. Uh, and they're probably cutting a ridiculous amount of corners to do it uh, or they're understaffing, you know, their, their QA department, whatever it is. And the games just aren't that great. You know, or there's, you know, the classic lot of potential, but just couldn't overcome its own flaws, which is the predominance of the game market, to be honest with you. So I don't I don't know that the budget is helping them out. Uh, And in that case, I think the budget's problem is they see they have a budget of one hundred million dollars. So they think they can do all of these huge things. And the, the reality is that either the development studio can't deliver it. Like they just don't have the expertise to deliver it or what the, you know, they're kind of the classic, their eyes are bigger than their stomach. Um, so they overreach and then they don't deliver and then the game suffers for it. And then as you get, as you get kind of further down the spectrum, I, I do think when you get into kind of those really small game houses, uh, you know, small dev shops and stuff like that, they either put out really bad games or the games they put out, they're incredibly uh, focused on what they on what their vision is and what they actually wanted to deliver, and you you tend to get a pretty good product. Again, it might be more niche in its audience, and it certainly isn't very you know, real well known. Uh, but what they what they don't have though is like what you've got in like the Call of Duties of the world, where there's like literally somewhere between five and seven hundred people that work on a Call of Duty over the course of a given given year. A single Call of Duty, like Infinite Warfare, I think it. I, I've said, seen several figures where it's like well over 600 people working on that game in some form or fashion. And what that would basically mean, it would be like Pokey is, is like the water effects guy, him and his two man team of guys do nothing but water stuff in the game. Uh, Zell's guys, they are the sound guys for all the weapons. And then, you know, bait, he does lens flares and then Jay, he's so <laughs> job. Bait does lens flares. Literally, it's like, <laughs> Like, and my sole job would be to, like, you know, write the little seven or eight hour single play, player story mode or whatever. Uh, so that's not what you get in smaller studios. You get, like, literally people doing seven of those jobs all at one time. So it's it's kind of a, a, a weird scale in terms of what you can get. So broadly, I'd say the big money going into it doesn't necessarily hurt the quality of the game. But it does lead you down a lot of different roads of there. I think you said it right, Pokey. There's a lot of pressure when money gets in there to get the game out, number one. And number two, 
I really think it starts to limit the the executive producer's choices because he's got to play it safe at some point because there, there is some ridiculous money getting thrown around on some of these. And as you get into some of the lower the lower end where it's literally a little bit more about the artistic vision behind the game and like just wanting to make a really good game that you know the money's important but it's it's not the it's not a driving factor for design choices it might be a designing it might be a driving factor for how many things you can put into the game but not necessarily um wow that's a bit avant-garde we don't know that we want to try that too much because we're about to you know like i don't know that we can get this past the 13 guys on the board that are fronting you know half a billion dollars for you know uh call of Battlefront, you know four or whatever the hell you know that that's that's at least at least how I kind of see it. The the thing that I I really uh, want to mention, and I, I think it's worth con- I, I think actually some of the things that you brought up really restated how how much I see in this is there's a really big similarity between um, game development and and movie making from this regard. Um, one of the comments you know about like a studio to do water effects. One of the things I thought was really funny. Um, is uh there's a scene in the the avengers movie you know where the uh the helicarrier takes off and and you could see like the the fans coming out of the water and then the water's running off the edges of the the you know ship as it starts to take off there was a studio that was in the avengers movie solely because they had their own proprietary software to do water like water flowing off of things and that was their whole part in the movie was to do this to, to contribute that the water effects on that one 30 second scene in the movie um <laughs> as it looks great by the way but it's just like you know the amount of of stuff that gets involved in some of these big movie making titles is very much the same um i obviously video games a lot of mainstream video games have the triple a titles have gotten more cinematic uh over time um and and the thing that I would point out is that I, I think you see very much the same thing that big budget movies do not uh, they take they prefer to play it safe. No, you know generally your big budget movies are going to be PG thirteen. They're not going to do anything to offend the general sense of the population. Um, you know we talk about Marvel movies and stuff, and and they're rarely rocking the boat in terms of you know plot creativity here. Um, you know, the Iron Man formula worked and then they did it three more times in other movies in the franchise. Um, and, and that's, I think, very much the same thing with movies. Is You get a big budget movie, nobody wants to, to take the risk that you don't make something. You know, you know this formula works. People will enjoy it. You'll make money. Um, you know, the Transformers movies, not a, not a hallmark of uh, cinematic, uh, you know, movie making talent, but they make a ton of money every time they cost money they make money done i don't know if that's a bad thing it's different there and again you'll have little small movies low budget movies that uh you know make you think about things take some creative directions um you know there's always like a little oddball low budget sci-fi movie out every year that i find really interesting um uh last year there was one called predestination which will absolutely screw with your head it's just it's actually it's kind of disturbing when you think about it but um and then uh, Ex Machina was another one that was was really good and really not a high budget movie, um, but took a very different creative direction than you're going to see in any any big title. Um, 
so I, I, I kind of feel like there's a pl- uh, there's definitely a place for both. Um, I bugs aside, I'm gonna enjoy the heck out of Mass Effect. Um, but I'm not sure. I, you know, I don't expect it to, uh, you know, be this magical perfect formula either. Yeah, and I think that you actually are right. So I mean, there there is a place for both. I think there are times when doing more of the same is good because it it actually works quite well. Um, in you know, like uh, Mass Effect is, it seems like that's a good example of that, where it obviously did a, a really good job with the first three. If it can do more of the same with the with the next one, then then that's probably great. But at the same time, you have games like Ghost Recon Wildlands, where it's like okay, here's another open world game with a story that's kind of light on anything meaningful and it's got side missions spattered about and it, it's got a cool cool looking jungle, like it looks fantastic like that's where all the money went because it makes it look awesome but in the end it's the same open world players have choice and do it your way the same marketing bullshit that you hear every time and in the end you're left with an experience that is really lackluster because it's like everything else that came before it and you're just kind of sick of it. Um, and I think that is probably why I've been struggling quite a bit lately with kind of a, a strong sense of apathy for a lot of games coming out because I feel like there's no risk. There's there's really no interesting things happening. It's it's usually we copy what worked last time and added a couple gimmicks that don't mean much and then we push it out the door and charge you 60 bucks for it. And, and it's that's really, really frustrating me. I think it's that's kind of why I've been struggling a lot with enjoying a lot of games, and I've kind of been gravitating towards more smaller indie-focused sort of deals because you know it it's it's a little more interesting. It, it may not be great every time. You may pick it up, maybe total crap, but at least it was different. You didn't pick it up and go, well, okay, yeah, this is exactly the same as I thought it was going to be. You know, that's that get, gets old real quick, and you see it happening with these larger budget games, and I think that. It, it it gets tiring after a while. I think it's it's a big problem that the industry is facing. Yeah, you know, I want I, I I absolutely agree with you on that one. The uh, I, I do think Zell said something that was pretty that's that's pretty accurate. Like uh, making making video games is not that dissimilar from making movies now, particularly because of the reach that they have and really the uh, you know the the money that can be thrown at some of these bigger ones. It, it it probably truly is very similar. Um, certainly not in terms of the micro details, but like the, the thought process that goes behind some of the creativity pieces. I think you still have like some major uh, powerhouse uh, studios or individual developers that are putting a, a lot of reputation line. They'll, they'll come up with, with something, you know, try they, they try to come up with something fairly, fairly new or, or I'm groundbreaking is I think probably overused, but trying to come up with fresh things. I mean, but to get to that level, um, like there's only so many Kojimas running around. They can basically say, I'm going to make a video game about Daryl from the walking dead, waking up naked with a baby and surrounded by black tar. Like (laughs) nobody else, nobody else could do that. And then generate the kind of funds that he can with which to make that, make that, you know, that game. (laughs) So there's, there's a little bit of that that you have to you have to kind of deal with, but yeah, it's this is an it's an interesting conundrum for the industry, and it's one of those like you got a next time we, we pull a de- developer from one of the studios studios on, it's probably worth the part of the discussion about hey, how does this work? You know, in terms of big studios versus little studios, and and sort of what what is happening in the industry overall. So 
it, it is, it's one of those really neat things to kind of watch because there's always going to be some like major flame out every year, at least two or three of them, you know, game's been in development for like three straight straight years, ridiculous amount of money pulled, pulled into it goes out to all of the, uh, you know, like all the comic cons and the PAXs and all that stuff. The game hits the shelves and it gets like six out of 10, <laughs> you know, it's like, God, <laughs> but, uh, you know, so it's, it is kind of interesting. Then you have these little, little small gems that are, that are hidden around for like 20 bucks on you know, the PS plus store on steam that are killer, you know, just at, you know, truly it, it just sinks you into the game. Uh, so it's, it, it is kind of interesting. Well, and I think there's there's another part to it where, you know, when you've got these big budget games, you throw around the, the title AAA, and the drive is, and this goes for movies as well, that you when you make the next one, it's going to be bigger than the stuff that came before. It's going to be more over the top with, I mean, look look at the progression of Call of Duty over the years. I mean, we started in World War One, and now we're flying space around and fighting in, in, in space. Like, it, it kind of turns into this this you know progressively larger and more grand and over the top sort of development cycle and i i feel like it starts to turn into where it's almost like feature bloat where they're trying to cram so much new crap in it because they want to keep everything they have from the previous title but add more stuff so the player is encouraged to pick up the new game because hey it's got new stuff in it um and that can be done well don't get me wrong but i think it it can also be done very poorly and it often is done very poorly and i think it's the biggest problem we see right now with with kind of this this increasing sort of budget that we see in these triple a titles and uh there was a jay actually linked me to uh an interview or a a live interview with um mitch gilliman and and crew over hairbrain schemes who were talking about their uh their new game, uh, Battletech, and they were taking questions from, from people live and answering them. And, and one player asked, like, well, hey, what if we had this thing where one person could be, like, the Battlemaster on one side, and you had, like, three or four players on the other side that were going against him? And, and he went, no. He goes, he goes, focus is quality. He goes, we don't, we we're a small studio. We don't have the resources to add every single feature we want and push this game out in a reasonable amount of time. So we have to be focused on, on what we're putting into the game. And that actually really quite stuck with me because of the games that I've played in the last couple of years, the ones that are the absolute most satisfying to me are Doom, you know, the, the, the Doom 2016 version and Bloodborne. And I was thinking about why I enjoyed them so much. And it didn't have to do with with you know the budget or the visuals. I mean, they, they look great, but they look good as, as any other game out there. But I've kind of settled on the fact that it's they do one or two or just a very small handful of things really, really well. Like, Doom is very straightforward. The gameplay is very straightforward, but it does that one element really damn well. And, and Bloodborne is the same way, or any of the Dark Souls games for that matter. They do what they do very, very well. They don't try to make it bigger and grander than the last one. They just try to put that level of quality and focus into all of their games. And what you get is a very clean, concise really well-designed product because they aren't all over the place. And I think the reason why you see so such similar um, products from indie studios is not necessarily that they chose to do that, but because they were forced to. They don't have the funding to go crazy with a gazillion different features. They go, okay, we're going to do these four things and we're going to do them really well because it's all we can afford. And I think that's actually why they tend to be so successful compared to games that are subject to feature bloat or, you know, uh, cinematic bloat where they just, they're trying to do way too much all at once. And I, I think that that's, 
kind of what we need to get away from and back down to the basics of focus is quality. I think that's that's really, really important. I, I wish that more games would get that way because that's what I'm really finding is important to me as a gamer. Yeah, no, I, I think I think there's a lot to that. When you when you have to deal with a smaller budget, you 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 really are driven to get every everything you can out of each one of those dollars. And for context, that that, uh, that live stream that uh, Pokey's talking about, uh, which we can link in the show notes too. That that was uh, you can find that on YouTube pretty easy. So uh, like, like it's it's pretty popular nowadays. It's and it used to be definitely not a thing, but it is certainly now a thing, or at least with certain some studios. So. HBS, uh, along with a lot of other studios, they'll do like in stride sort of like Q and A's or AMA type things uh, on Twitch, or, or I think this one was on Twitch originally. And you got like the the you know the the you know the boss men of the game actually answering a lot of questions about it. Uh, and it was pretty interesting because the context for that for that live stream event was they the the week prior they had announced that uh, the the beta was going to be moved to the right. Like, hey, look, it's not where we want. We are going to move this thing to the right. Uh, and they they put a very forthright note out on their to all their Kickstarter folks about it. And it was pretty it was pretty cool. And, and the the amount of goodwill that HBS has, has built up with their uh, with their fans is pretty pretty significant. Because I would say ninety percent of the response that I I kind of monitored was. Hey, we really appreciate you guys like trying to focus on like producing a good game. Yeah, no problem. Makes total sense. Long story short, they were updating their their game engine. They had to make a design choice of they're deep in the process, like about to ship beta, and the man and the uh, the people that put out their you know basically the game engine that they that they're working with. They had a significant update in it, so they had to make a decision. Do we continue to move with this or do we update the game engine, which will obviously create friction uh, that they have to fix. And they, they made the decision that it's better for the game to update the game engine. You get more frames per second and some other technical components on the back end uh, with the understanding that they were going to literally, you know, lose a two to three weeks of development time and then just fixing broken things after the update went through. And they did. And then they, they were very clear about why they came out with it. So, you know, subsequently, this is a pre-planned uh, live stream anyway. They do them probably about every other month or so. Um, and they're, and again, very forthright in their discussion about it. So one of the questions that happened is immediately prior to the one Pokey referenced was, it was probably a few minutes before anyway, they said, hey, or so Mitch Gittleman, the, you know, the studio head basically said, hey, before any of you ask, and uh, and I know some of you are going to, because we're moving the beta ship date to the right, that doesn't mean there's going to be more features in it. That means we're going to deliver to you what we said we were going to deliver, and we're going to actually make it right. Because if we tried to add more things in it, because there's quote unquote like another month of time, month, you know, an extra month of time now, all that means is we're still not going to be able to deliver all of that in good enough in, in good enough order to you. So we're just going to deliver to you what we said we were going to deliver in the beta. It's just going to be moved to the right. And I was like, I don't know that you could have gotten anybody else in the game game development world that I've ever heard say that out loud and have it captured on video and have it be intended for its customers. Uh, they're one of the few studios that can probably get away with that. And, and in fact, they had a even more positive response because of the way he handled it. Do you think that marketing and the hype machine is what prevents more game developers from being that open about their development process? Yeah, I do. I mean, look at Star Wars Battlefront. Um, 
that was purely hamstrung by marketing associated with the release of the movie. Uh, mm-hmm. And and that was you want to talk about talk about a game that is beautifully done, like in terms of the tone, sound, the look, that everything. Uh, it you know it's a, it is a battlefront game, so it's not it's not overly complex, but that is a gorgeous game to play and kind of mess around with. But they literally whacked huge components of what was supposed to be in the game purely to meet a, a marketing window. Uh, so there was actually originally supposed to be a fairly in-depth for, uh, like campaign system in it, like for a rebel side and an empire side and all this other kind of stuff. It was actually supposed to be much, much more than kind of like almost a pure multi multiplayer, you know, turn the, turn the game game on and start to run around lazing and blazing. And uh, it was actually in, if I remember right, like that story was going to be uh, a lot of periphery stuff that would be going on around these canon events that you could actually play through. Uh, so all that had to get cut and, and they, they admitted to it much later after the fact though. And, in, and you know, the star Wars battlefront two or whatever their next up, you know, the big next big version of that. And they've already announced it's coming. Uh, that's going to, you know, their goal is to actually have all that in there this time because they, they realized that they were not happy with what what happened to the game when it came out. So basically it got great reviews of, Hey, looks and sounds a lot like a, an awesome star Wars game, but there's nothing there's, you know, it's like a you know, mile wide and an inch deep, you know, so there's nothing really to it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a real mess. And I really do wish that you, you would, get conditions in which developers would be allowed to or at least be more willing to to be as open as as you know hairbrain schemes has or, or other indie developers which seem to get around a lot of those limitations because of their more humble and, and subdued process it, it just you know it, it's a different world you know it, it's nothing like what you see like battlefront you know, that's a massive hype engine compared to what you're used to seeing in like you know a kickstarter well, now, I, you know, before you know, before we we sell down that parade too much, the one thing I would say is that they, I think, they have another money challenge at the lower end of the the dollar spectrum that is probably equally pervasive, and that is the need to um, oversell and overhype because they know they're short on funds and they're liter- they're literally like dragging it across the finish line to get there. <laughs> no man's sky. Uh, no, I, I mean, I, I wasn't going to throw rocks at it, but, but that's, yes. So that's, that's a great example of it. Or you kind of get in, and I know we poke a lot of fun at, uh, at RSI, you know, in terms of, you know, Robert Space Industries. Uh, the, the reality there is that there's a lot of money that gets thrown at these games and they have to keep promising things and describing things, selling you the moon to get more money to just keep things afloat. Um it's not like they have like a you know a huge bankroll like Activision or something like that. So they get into a different kind of trap where they're like literally in a dead sprint in like uh, sprint development basically round the clock and they're like cycling new developers on all the time. Like the turnover in those companies is ridiculous. Uh, so they can just keep you know, keep their head above water so to speak. And I, I think that's actually a, a pretty uh, you know that's a pretty corrosive me- mechanism of, you know, of game development. Cause I, I think that drives itself to things like, you know, outlandish microtransactions and all kind of other stuff like that, like really successful games, like really successful games. 
that like if you know talk about microtransactions, like once they sell you the game or give you the game in a lot of cases, you're not going to break the bank on anything to buy something in that game. You can if you want, but it is not it's not uh, it's not overly blatant, you know, like that's that's usually when you got a really good game because they know the game's good enough that you're going to put money into it. The ones that are more shaky, I, I have found have the most aggressive microtransactions because they're probably scared to death of not making any money or they're almost they're borderline insolvent by the time the game comes out. Yeah, I mean that that's that's a very fair point. I'll agree. All right, guys, I think we're we're probably getting close to the end here. Any closing remarks on this one before we uh, move along here? Alrighty, so uh, I forgot it last week because I screwed it up, but let's do some shoutouts this time. Um, so Zell, you good to go on shoutouts? What do you think? Um, come on, you you've had mm. like you I'm know, not hour, you know, fine, fine. I'm giving my shout out to uh, Pepperidge Farms Goldfish Crackers. They're good. Fuck yeah. That's better than what you usually give us. All right, babe. Uh, yeah, I would like to, to um, uh, apologize to my neighbor, and I will do this in person probably tomorrow. I fucking ran over their cat today on the way home before the show, and I, I killed the fucker. Uh, it, it's coming around the curve, and it, it ran across the road. I didn't see it until I heard the thud. Stopped my car, looked back, saw what happened. Shit, killed the cat put it in their garbage can, and went about my mirrored business. So tomorrow, I got to knock on their door, be like, hey, killed your cat. I'm sorry. It's in your garbage can. That, that Please tell me you're going to take it out of the garbage can before that. No, probably not. Oh, uh, this is not going to go well. <laughs> I don't know, man. I wouldn't. Okay. As a pet owner, I wouldn't want it in the garbage can. That's just me personally. Where is, the, where is she going to put it? Put it in a box and give it to him. I, I don't know. Uh here, he's your dead cat. I put in a hey, box for you and presented. Hey man, all right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna change into life coach by J mode. So I, what I what I strongly recommend is is like one of a few options here. Your your best option um, it, it could be to simply say nothing, like just see. Kinda, I like do every that, time, every, I, I do that every time you see him. No, 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 no. It's not that. Like what you're trying to do is here. Let me put it. Here's the situation. Is is there like kids in that family? Like little oh, kids? Fuck, I hope not. I I, I don't right, really do you know. Yeah, I do. I've I've only ever seen so, adults. What I would fuck. what I was gonna recommend is that you you could just not you could like like stare shamefully at them and like every once in a while when you see them in the driveway and just uh-huh. keep going about your business. Yeah. And then like at Christmas you like anonymously drop something, you know, like a, a good present, so to speak, not a bad one like you you just gave them uh-huh. uh, on their door or something. That that would be a thing. Um, if you, if you do elect, if you do elect to go over there and knock on the door, which I would offer the best time to do that is immediately after you've killed the cat, like immediately. And then you go over there and you're like, so I'm so sorry, blah, 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 blah. And you deliver the news, have the cat like in a bag or whatever. And, and say, I'm, I'm desperately sorry, my bad. And then leave and just move on. That's really your two best options right now. Cause anything other than that is going to go so poorly. It will, th- th- you will mark my words. If you're going to knock on their door and tell them you killed their cat, you had best get it out of the trash can. I'm yeah. just telling you now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, fuck. Let me run over there and I can get the damn cat out of the garbage can. This is going to be awesome. Oh, jeez. This show, show has gone somewhere else. <laughs> All right. Jay, save the, save the shout outs for us. 
Absolutely. So uh, I'm like digging into the Wayback Machine. I got some vinyl that I'm I actually like, no kidding, vinyl records that I'm uh, I'm breaking out. So uh, I want to give a shout out to the Amazing Rhythm Aces. Uh, if you don't know who they are, Google them. Uh, and I was listening to some Four Non Blondes right before the show. I was uh, really really enjoying that because i used to listen to that band quite a bit and i don't mean just like what's up you know the one song that most everybody knows of four non-blondes did i mean you can actually actually got a pretty good pretty good repertoire at least on their the one album that uh that people can identify morphine and chocolate so i do recommend a little bit of four non-blondes and again going way 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 back into kind of the uh uh kind of deep southern rock and um you know you know the beginnings of the modern blues and Southern rock kind of thing back in the seventies and the early eighties, the amazing rhythm aces, pretty solid stuff. Oh, speaking of blues, Chuck Berry died last night. Yep. Did you see Definitely that? Definitely tracking that. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> did, hey, hey, babe, did you run over him too? <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, wow. My God. This is, this, this podcast is taking a dark turn at the Holy end. Holy shit, guys. Shit. <laughs> It's about video games and dead cats. It's, okay. This, this, is, this is what happens when it when it's uh, when it's getting late after uh, daylight savings times. We're all getting a little punchy because we haven't like quite yet. It's about a week and we haven't quite yet adjusted. Florida yeah. man kills Chuck Berry. Damn <laughs> it! Oh my gosh. Okay. Um. Hmm, my shout out. I'm gonna give a shout out to Marta Legarius from Bloodborne, who is an asshole boss. I spent all day on Saturday trying to get him, and I finally beat him. So that's that's my shout out for for Bloodborne kicking my ass for a whole week. Um, but yeah, so uh, again, if you guys want to be on the show, if you have any topics you want us to discuss, or if you want to come on the show to discuss a topic, please feel free to let us know. All of our contact information is on biomass.net or biomass.com. If there's any games you want us to play, review, do a Let's Play, that sort of thing, um, I'm going to be picking up Resident Evil 7 pretty soon here and kind of doing a YouTube series on that. Uh, let us know. We'll be more than happy to kind of pick that up and give it a shot. But other than that, I want to thank everyone for tuning in. Uh, hope you had a good St. Patrick's Day. Hope you were all safe out there. Didn't drink too much. Didn't uh, forget to drink your water afterwards and, and ruin your life this morning. But uh, uh, yeah, other than that, everyone have a great night and be safe out there.